HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour, broadcasting live from Feast Portland. I'm Dana Cowan, and before we kick things off, I'd like to thank Travel Portland, Stream PDX, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Feast possible. Right now, I'm joined by Reed Asil. Did I pronounce it correctly? Reem. Reem. Yeah. Sorry, I said yeah. Reed, didn't I? <laughs> Reem Asil. Um, and she has an incredible burgeoning business in Oakland, um, Reems, California, Defna, did I? Diafa. Diafa. Gosh, yeah. wow. My Yes. <laughs> and um, an Arab bakery. So I am going to start with a quote. Um, it's something that uh, I heard you say. And you said that revolutions are born in cafes and bakeries. And that you wanted to create a safe space for those conversations. And I feel like that notion of being a revolutionary is just core to who you are. And it stretches way back to the work that you have done. And it also stretches forward to the work that you will do. So can you tell me a little bit about um, some of the your thoughts around the bakery that you have and the restaurants that you have as a meeting place and um, how they came to be. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a very, in some ways, a very personal sort of homecoming for me because um, as someone who has grown up in this country as a child of immigrants, I've never quite felt a place that felt like home. And when I moved to the Bay Area 15 years ago and started organizing in communities to find a voice, whether it be on their on the job or in their neighborhoods around decisions that were impacting their lives, um, I felt like the communities I was working with also felt like that sort of lack of groundedness of instability. And, you know, as we know, sort of in this in this era and and um, in terms of like our administration like that is becoming more and more the the reality that like people don't feel a sense of home and um so I was yearning for that for a long time and I think when I went 
to in 2010 when I was sort of on this sort of crossroads of what did I want to do? What is my purpose? Um, seeing in the Arab world how these food spaces were a central place for people to feel that groundedness and to feel that sense of home despite the term the the political turmoil around them um i just like fell in love with that and i really wanted to i felt like i had this aha moment like oakland needs that the bay area needs that like that was the missing piece in my organizing work that sort of tra transformative work where you could really find spaces of sanctuary and so i was i became really committed to recreating um, recreating that space that I saw um, when I went and visited. So I guess what's I interesting to me about that is that I thought, you know, from a, a lot of the work that you've done, that yes, it would be a place of sanctuary, but that in fact it was a place of fomenting ideas and pushing forward new ideas. Yes. Uh, is it a balance between those two things? It's a balance. I mean, I think that um, what I want people to feel like when they walk in my space is that they can be who they are. You know, they don't have to fear all the things outside those doors. Um, and if you're coming as you are, sometimes that's not necessarily um, comfortable, you know. Um, and I think that a lot of times, particularly I think for marginalized communities, communities of color that are facing so much backlash, uh, racism, homophobia, sexism, all the things all in their things. regular <laughs> life, you know, like to be able to actually like not have to censor themselves out in the real world um, and to be who they are, um, you know, invites those sort of uncomfortable conversations around privilege and power and all these things. So I welcome that in my space and I think it's a place that people really appreciate um, but I think, uh, I think we do it in a very organic way in the sense that, um, Arab hospitality, like at its core is really about sort of being welcoming to anybody and everybody and, um, to being able to tell our story and to invite you and, and, and to do it through the senses, right? We like to feed people. That's how we show our hospitality. And so I think that sort of building that trust with the people um, that come into our doors um, kind of shifts people's maybe it's a, it could be a slight shift but mm -hmm. it shifts their thinking about who Arabs are or mm -hmm. you know like what because all they get bombarded with is what the mainstream talks about um, and maybe when they walk outside those doors they might think of things a little bit differently and do but you think then also of like who how they treat you know one another um i we hope to rep like model the world that we want to see rather than the world that is out there so that's the revolution internally <laughs> <laughs> that is a revolution actually yeah, you, you know change I mean, the way you eat <laughs> right and so let's talk about your food which yeah. just looking at all of the the pictures and um you know watching you make it in videos it's so delicious and one of your goals is to um, instead of people just broad brushing Middle Eastern food yes. to actually break it down. Yes. And um, I was hoping that you could just talk about some of those signature dishes of yours and, um, you know, where they come from and how you yeah. learn them. And Yeah. So my food, I would describe it as really embody embodiment of me <laughs> because I call it Arab street food made with California love. And that really is central to who I am. It's really honoring the place I came from, 
but then honoring the place I'm in. And so really taking traditional flavors from the Levant, which is where my family is from. My mom is Palestinian. My dad is Syrian. But my mom grew up in Beirut. And so it's this amazing mix of things. Right. And then but then also they're you know, first generation immigrated to the U.S. and sort of taking the context of where they lived and 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 that definitely affected the food that I grew up with. And so it's all of those things and then wrapped up into this place that I love now living in California and using those ingredients. So that sort of Cal bounty of California ingredients and merging them. And so um, our signature dish is a street food called the Manushe. Um, which is a fresh baked flatbread. It's our sort of version of the pizza, I guess. It's sort of the what you see people walking on the street eating. Um, it can be eaten any way you'd like, really, uh, open-faced and sharing with friends or wrapped and on the go, sort of part of people's daily routines. And um, I grew up on this food. It's something I sort of took for granted until I um, was an adult. And I was like, why isn't this the trend um <laughs> little did i know i remember when i decided okay i want to have a bakery business and the manusha would be sort of the central and my mom would tell me oh they're the americans they're not ready for zatar but <laughs> she was wrong she was wrong right. you, you don't always listen to your mother yeah. in fact. <laughs> um and so then that became sort of the the place where i could sort of start with the traditional flavors but then dream because you can put anything and everything on a manusha so so uh you were talking about the restaurant being a place that you can um, be yourself. And I think that's particularly poignant to you because when you were growing up, you didn't necessarily feel the ability to completely be yourself. You were growing up in a super white suburb of Boston. Yes. Um, you know, is there a, a memory that brings that into focus completely? Like, you know, that sense of being an outsider? I mean, always. And I think food was like definitely a marker. It's funny because food is like a source of pain and healing for me and so um when i came to food it was really sort of healing all these all these the accumulation of racism and sort of being other and outsider um that i felt over the years but that is it a was a burden all, to put on something that you put in your mouth it's I kind know, of amazing it's really crazy like yeah. how how you carry these memories in the food and and the fact that you know the story behind food and like um, the fact that a lot of the dishes that I'm trying to recreate, you know, whether it's through reams or diafa is like food that we can't we can no longer cook uh, in Gaza, in Syria, it, you know, because of the conditions that are there. You um, can't so cook to be it, able to keep it alive. You can't cook it because because of climate change, because of war, because of colonization, the occupation. It's, you know, all these things. So these dishes are like literally dying and so to be able to recreate those dishes and keep the story and the memory alive is a very healing place for me because it's like a forgotten memory of my own roots that I'm trying to uh, I'm every day discovering you know through I the food didn't, I didn't know it was that extreme yeah. and so I you know I know that that notion of of capturing history and bringing it forward and sharing your identity that's important but how much more powerful and it's like layers if you yeah. if it's actually you know dying yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's like layers i mean it's beyond just me sort of being the kid who was the outsider but like more to the like the history of my people and 
but but there also in that story there's like a history of our resilience like how we've been able to move to different places and recreate our foods and adapt to the you know it's like there's just like this world um to be discovered um in terms of the um the the flavors and and the food um so i'm really excited to be able to dive into that it's also interesting the adaptation right i mean resilience and adaptation are are related notions so you are bringing things back that would have died but you're also adapting them to a place that will make them live longer exactly and also it's impossible to not adapt because and we're really flexible like i really feel like air like um you know, my cuisine is very flexible in that way. There's not hard, rigid rules. Like even the same dishes when you go from country to country in the Middle East, like they're different because people adapt, you know, like there's not this rigidity around it. So like, I think it lends itself to creativity. And even if you go to Lebanon today, like there is a renaissance of these dishes that used to be like a certain way and people are doing them differently. And I think that that's really cool. Like food is meant to evolve. Right. Food is, food is living. But we were talking about your, your childhood that it was, you know, both both painful and and healing, but this, um, yeah, I I was going to say like, I think, but food was a way to connect to people too. I remember like coming home and like crying to my mom because like, you know, our world studies history was like showing Arabs um, and like these like really sort of racialized stereotypes and how we, you know, um, how we eat our food and how, you know, and it, it, it was hard, you know, and then during Ramadan when we were fasting and not eating and then, you know, my mom would pack us like, you know, Zata and like all <laughs> these things that like looked gross to the kids, you know. So I remember my mom playing a really integral role of actually coming in and like guest speaking in my classes when we would have which was kind of mortifying to, mortifying but, mom but she but she would like bring you know um fresh baked baklava and mamul which is like a traditional semolina cookie that we enjoy in the holidays and i was like the coolest kid in the class for the for those moments and that felt really amazing to me that like did you, you find you your mother bold food. for that i mean did you think like how brave she must, brave is a bad word, but how strong she must have been because she knew, I mean, she She knew what you were going through and she knew there were a bunch of ignorant, I'm not going to say intolerant, but like ignorant kids in that that class. Do you think she did it like forcefully, intentionally? She did. I think my mom is really, and it's funny now, 30 years later is like, I understand where I get that, you know, that (laughs) (laughs) where I'm, where I get that from is like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's like that sort of steadfastness, you know, like you're always going to survive and we're, you're always going to be proud of who you are and you should never um, shy away from that. Like I got that from my mom and I remember, you know, to the extent she could, she couldn't, you know, protect us all the time, but she really tried everything she could to make us feel like, um, that we belonged, you know, and, and the culture was very strong in our home. And even if it wasn't strong in school or in sort of that, you know, she did everything she could to help us feel proud of it. So I feel like now it's, it's full circle. I'm doing that in a sort of way, the way that she did. Kind of in a big way. So you um, incubated your, your bakery yeah oh it with la cucina yeah cucina i i I mangle every word given to me that's um you know more than four letters but uh tell me what that was like you had been a community organizer before for 10 years i mean that is an enormous 
commitment to a certain kind of work and yes. then you switch to join the world of food what was the connection between those two things well i think um i think i was really fortunate to meet a place like la Co- to, to to be connected to a place like la cocina because um so for folks who don't know la cocina they are um their their mission is really to maintain the sort of cultural and economic um vibrancy of san francisco that is being lost right to sort of forces of gentrification and um it's harder and harder for communities of color and particularly immigrant um, communities to stay in san francisco and so they were really created um, because they saw there was this like real vibrancy of women um doing food and sort of this sort of i don't know i i don't know what you call it like a a market uh like uh, an, opportunity. an informalized market right mm-hmm. and so their mission was really to help formalize them so that they could actually make a living out of it and be able to s- sustain a family and live in San Francisco and they were sort of the intersection of food and community and social justice and you know for me personally sort of a play a vehicle for me to really think about how could my food not just be a source of healing for me personally, but a healing for my community? Like I didn't know how to put those things together until I joined that program. Um, And I realized, you know, in order to be able to do that, I need to dream big. I need to scale. I need to think about um, what is the benefit of my business, not just this like cute bakery that, you know, provides good food but actually provides good jobs provides opportunities for my neighbors um, really fulfills that sort of mission because I think when I um, when I made a decision to stop being an organizer professionally I lost a piece of my identity like it was a really hard shift that for me. That is hard. And and why did you choose to cuz you gave that up rather yeah. than it being taken from you, I yeah, think. Yeah, I I Honestly, I burnt out, you mm-hmm. know, like I think that that is really um, it's, it's real. Burnout is real. Yeah, burnout is real. Um, in the nonprofit world, I was tired of, um, you know, sort of investing in campaigns. And then the mm-hmm. funders would say, OK, you have to go this direction and we would run in this direction. And, you know, and in the meanwhile, you're working with communities and I wanted to build deeper. I didn't want to just kind of surface level and I and I felt like I wasn't being able to do that meaningful work in sort of a nonprofit setting. So that's really, uh, you know, why it's it's funny because ironically, <laughs> after I left the nonprofit world, I was making less and less <laughs> and working more and more. Yeah. So but, um, you know, I was I was building something for the long haul. And that's really what I think about when I think about Reams is like Reams is not just the bakery. You know, it's it's really sort of what spawns off Diafa is one thing, you know, um, hopefully sort of our wholesale that creates more jobs is another thing and so on and so forth. I have this dream of, you know, building a farm that would, you know, employ refugee communities that are coming from rural backgrounds. So it's really this sort of bigger vision that I have um, that serves different functions. Is that is that vision something that you had to cultivate i mean that notion i'm just interested in the notion of losing a a piece of yourself and how you found it again like what were the tools and how did you sort of approach that situation because i think that there are a lot of people who 
you know, they want to switch from one thing to the next. They are burned out or yeah. they need a d- different opportunity and they don't exactly know how to identify or find it. And yeah. How did you go through that process? Um, I mean, I think that um, I wanted to go really f- I mean, I've moved relatively fast. I'm going to say, like, I, I, I feel very blessed. I've, like, been really lucky to kind of do, you know, I hustled for a long period of time and then sort of. But I think one of the things that I really appreciate about being part of the La Cucina program is that they made me, they, like, slowed me down a little bit. And I actually took my time for two years. That is really interesting. Yeah, so you I, was were like, like, I was, like, ready to start. I, I joined the program in 2014. I was like... I want to do this and I want to do that. And they were like, you're going to slow down. And I didn't even formalize until 2015. I spent a year really cultivating my vision and my values and my mission. And that really, you know, and I worked with volunteers who are doing brand development and all these things. And, And I worked really hard to figure out, to get solid on what my mission, vision and values were. And that really became sort of the thing that was like, oh, I'm an organizer at heart. Food is going to be my vehicle. And so that became the sort of lens through which I made all my business decisions. And that made it really easy for me um, to figure out sort of the next direction of my business. But La La Cocina only incubates um, food businesses or they incubate other things as well? No, food businesses. Yeah. yeah. But uh, like really for me, I was a mission based, like I was a social mission based like food business. It was very obvious to them. And so um, helping me sort of cultivate that piece of my what makes what. You know, there there are a lot of sort of Middle Eastern restaurants and what what distinguishes me from the others is that, you know, like my social mission is really that 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 piece of the work that distinguishes me from the rest. So although I think um, just uh, in everything that, um, you know, I've read and and observed not having <laughs> visited in Oakland is the food itself is quite differentiated as well. The food. Yes. For right. Sure. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah. it is a, such a mo- talking about yeah. moments, which um, <laughs> I'm sort of over the notion of trend and moment, but yes. it's been such a middle Eastern moment Yes, and it has, you know, everything sort of broad brushed with a hummus yeah. brush, you know, yeah. it's like totally. everything's just That's hummus and analogy. falafel. I like it. Yeah. And we're beyond the hummus and falafel. You really, although ironically we started serving <laughs> falafel at Reams because <laughs> The people have spoken, but <laughs> the p- the people um, just know what they know. I mean, yeah. this is something that I, you know, I've um, in editorial. The, the notion is you want to make people happy, but you also want to open their minds. Yes. and it's the same thing at the yes. bakery, like you or your restaurants, because now there's yeah. multiples. But yeah. um, you know, you sure if they want hummus, th- that's great. But we have that, and we have and this, and you have and this, this. You have the other yes. options, and. Technically, as a cook, are you a great cook? <laughs> um, I would say I'm a baker first and foremost. Uh-huh. Bread is sort of my specialty. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I learned, you know, I think I, um, thanks to my mom being a working mom, I had to learn how to be the cook in the family. And um, so we always sort of grew up. But um, when I knew I was going to be in the culinary world I built those technical skills um, La Cucina really helped was integral in that piece of the work because I was technically you know I'd worked in some of the you know Ars Mendi Bakery and Pizzeria which is a really well-known and established you know like I got a lot of formative 
formative experience and the technical skills of baking, but not so much the cooking. And so I did a lot of externships with really great chefs like Tracy Desjardins was a good mentor, um, like all these amazing chefs that were in the La Cucina sphere that I was lucky enough to sort of be mentored by um, to build some of those technical skills. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so much weird to, to say I'm a good chef. Well, it's so. just interesting to do so many things at once, right? Because you have to build the business plan, but you yes. also have to build the cooking yeah, skills. Yeah, to learn everything. Uh, you know, it's a, it's like a lot to, to take on. And you have to learn on. how to scale. You know, it's not just like, I'm not a home cook. Like, you know, yeah, you have I'm to a do production. Cook. And, yeah, so and then you have to like, teach people. And you have to teach people. And then like. you have to run a business. I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the thing that I really enjoy about um, being a business owner um, is the work kind of related to the work I did in organizing, which is the leadership development piece. So I really love mentoring people. I love teaching them. I love watching like the first person who ever worked at my first um, uh, farmer's market is now yeah. my director of operations. You know, like I love cultivating people. And so if if I could be the Arab Alice Waters, <laughs> I love that. You know, my like my lead line cook is now starting his own sandwich shop in, oh you know, the peninsula. So like I... I love that piece of the work is, you know, not so much managing people, but cultivating people. And so I want my places to be that place of cultivation. So uh, I always like to know uh, who it is that, you know, so you're cultivating people, but is there someone who cultivated you or is there someone who, a woman in hospitality who inspires you every day and, um, and who would that be and why? Ooh. That's a good question. Oh my God, there's so many. I mean, I, I think about um, some of the ba badass women chefs who are working in Oakland, like Dominica Rice and Tanya Holland and Pretty Mystery. Like, I mean, all of those women, I like look up to them because I'm newer, you know, um, and they've like taken me under their wing. And um, I, I think, you know, but uh, also some of the women at La Cucina were like chef de cuisines in other places like Emiliana Poyana and... Um, you have to pick Tracy one. Desjardins. I know I can't. It's, <laughs> I can't really pinpoint one. I feel like um, all of those women have really inspired me. Um, so it's it's more like a women's web. Yes. Yeah. We all have to support one another. So uh, yeah, it would be really hard to pick one of them. So maybe the Oakland community of women chefs. Yes. If there I was going to narrow it down yes. for you. Yes. Because um, that is an extraordinary group of women that you just yes mentioned yes and i think with that our time um is sadly up i'm so excited to have gotten to to talk to you after um you know following you i i want to thank travel portland stream pdx and the julia child foundation for making our coverage of feast possible and i want to thank aaron parecki the co-founder of stream pdx for being our sound engineer today thanks Reem. thanks for joining thank me thank you for having me